Well, open your Bibles one more time to 1 Thessalonians and find the fifth chapter. We're going to finish up our study today, God willing. Some of you thought we were never going to get there, but today we're going to finish things up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, there's something I've noticed that really grieves my heart. It seems that more and more Christians are viewing church as optional. Optional. It's nice to go to church, but not a necessity. But, you know, the New Testament, the Bible, knows nothing of that kind of thinking. In fact, it teaches the exact opposite. The church is vital. Wearsby said, it is tragic when believers neglect or ignore the local church. No family is perfect. Have you found that out? No family is perfect and no local church is perfect. But without a family to protect them and provide for him, a child would suffer and die. The child of God needs the church family if he is to grow, develop his gifts, and serve God. I just want to say today and be heard clearly that, beloved, we need each other. We need the church. God knew that. And that's why God established the church and put it in place. But because we are human, as far as I know, everybody in here is human. I did see the NFL had some AI robots at a game recently, but I don't see any in here. Because we are human and we still struggle with sin, everybody in here still struggles with sin, when we get together, now we need each other, we are together, but when we get together, there can be and there will be problems. As we finish up First Thessalonians today, Paul is going to address some items that can spring up in a church, some problems and some solutions, if you will. He's going to give a long list of things that we're to do as Christians and things that we're not supposed to do as Christians. And in all honesty, we could have made a whole sermon series out of the passage we're going to study today. We could have actually blocked it out and did an entirely different series. We're not going to do that. We're going to finish today. But we've got a lot of ground to cover in a very short amount of time, so I hope that you'll listen fast, all right? First Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's go ahead and read the passage, and then we'll walk through it together. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, some familiar verses you're going to hear today. We'll begin reading at verse 28 and finish out the book. And we urge you, brethren... To recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. 
Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord in this epistle uh, that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. There's so much here, and it's all important. Did you notice at the very end that Paul literally charged them? It literally means he put them under oath to read this letter to all of the brethren there in verse 27. Now, to simplify our thinking, because there's a lot here, and we could go in a lot of different directions. We could kind of get on one path and miss some other things. To help us in our time together today, I want you, if you would, to make some considerations. And I want you to make some considerations in four different directions, all right? So very simply, I want you to, first of all, consider your church leaders, because that's what he talks about here in the very opening verses of our passage. Consider your church leaders. Now, God is no respecter of persons. The Scripture talks about that. But God has called and God has chosen some individuals to be leaders within the local church. Now, in this letter that he's writing to the Thessalonians, he probably has in mind the elders that were there. I'm not talking about the senior citizens or the older people. I mean an elder in the sense of a biblical elder. We know them more as pastors. He probably had in mind pastors when he wrote this, but really what he says would be applicable to anyone who finds himself in a leadership position within a local church individuals who labor and lead and instruct in the body of Christ. And he says very simply there that they're worthy of love and respect. I like how the NLT puts it. It clarifies it. Listen to it uh, again, verses 12 and 13. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peaceably with each other. Love and respect. In fact, Hebrews 13, verse 7 says it this way. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who taught you the Word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. We should love and respect our church leaders. Church leaders are not perfect. Church leaders make mistakes. Church leaders can get off course. But... By and large, the majority of those that are leading in the church, I think, are good-hearted people that are seeking to please the Lord and serve the body. We usually, at the church at large, only hear the bad stuff, right? We hear all the scandals and all the abuse and those sorts of things. But the majority of folks, and I'm talking about the broader church at large, it's filled with leaders who love Jesus and are seeking to serve Him. Now, we are to consider church leaders, which kind of leads us to the next part as we think about the church body. Remember, we need each other. The body's important. We are to be together, but there's still some problems sometimes. So consider something else. Consider your church family. Consider your church family. This has to do with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Say, well, who are you talking about? Just look around. Just look to your left, look to your right, look back, look front. This is who we're talking about, your church family. And then those who are part of our church family who are not in this service. Now, I want you to notice that he gives seven commands in regards to this idea here in this passage. We're going to work our way in verses 13, 14, and 15 down. He says in verse 13 that we need to be, in, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace. I don't know about you, but I hate 
when there's a lack of peace and there's controversy and there's turmoil and there's a storm raging within the, the church family. We want peace. In fact, Red Hill has valued peace so much, you even named your history book Peace and Harmony. Now, I don't know that it always lived up to that, but that was the goal. Peace and harmony. It says here, be at peace among yourselves. The Scripture says what? As much as lies in you, be at peace with others. Notice next in verse 14. He gives some instructions concerning brothers and sisters. First of all, he says, warn the unruly. Unruly means those who are out of order. It can also carry the idea of those who are lazy and not laboring or working. We know we had some issues with that in First Thessalonians we talked about earlier in our study. But warn those who are out of order. And that kind of harkens back to the previous command, right? If you're going to have peace, you can't have a bunch of members who are unruly and are out of order. And so he says there to warn the unruly. Then he says next in verse 14, to comfort the faint-hearted. To put it more simply, encourage those who are discouraged. Encourage them. I guarantee you in this building right now we have discouraged people. We have people who are discouraged. They're down. Some are a little bit discouraged. Some are almost despondent. And so we need to do our best to encourage them, to strengthen them, those who are faint-hearted. And then it says in verse 14, uphold the weak. Now, we think about the weak, we often think about physical weakness, that is, sickness, and there would be a part of this, but really the thought here is probably those who are spiritually weak. Uphold them. There are those who are not quite as far along in their spiritual journey, and they're a little bit weak in their faith, and we, that maybe are further down the road, we've learned some lessons, we're to encourage them and help them and uphold them as we labor together for the Lord. And maybe when we're weak in our faith, someone who's further down the road than we are and more mature than we are can help to kind of bolster our faith. So we're to uphold the weak. And then verse 14, the end, brings a real big challenge. Are you ready for it? It says, be patient with all. <laughs> be patient with all. That's good preaching and hard living, isn't it? There's some people that it's hard to be patient with. Some of you are going to have to practice this in the parking lot in just a few minutes. <laughs> be patient with all. Patience. We need the Lord's help in that, don't we? Verse 15 goes on to tell us that we're not to retaliate we're not to seek vengeance. Somebody does something to you, maybe unintentionally, they didn't know that they did it, or maybe it was blunt and intentional. You're not to retaliate. You're not to take vengeance. The Bible says, the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We're to give those things to the Lord. Love doesn't seek its own. Love doesn't you know, lash out. We're not to retaliate. We're not to take vengeance. And then verse 15 goes on to say that we're to choose what is good for everyone. It says, pursue, always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So choose what is good for everyone. That's one of the challenges in, in leading a church. We have to keep the big picture in mind. We have to look at the body as a whole. What does the body need? 
And sometimes people get upset because their itch isn't getting scratched because we're looking at the good and the whole of the body and so the challenge comes. In a real sense, these people and problems still exist in the church today. Families have problems. Church families have problems. But families love each other. And families work through problems. I've just begun my 17th year with you here. This month marks that. Just begun 17 years. And we've had all sorts of issues. We've had all sorts of problems to work through. We could, we could talk for a long time about things through the years that we've had to deal with, things that were challenges, uh, some things maybe we're still not done with. I've lost count of all of the problems and the issues and the challenges, but here's the truth of the matter. We're still going on together. We're still going on together. Just like a marriage, just like a family, we don't jump ship at the first sign of a problem. We work through it. We seek the Lord. We seek forgiveness. We seek solutions in moving forward as a church family. And by the way, if you're a guest here today and you think, well, this church looks pretty nice and everybody looks like they like each other, well, I think that it is nice. I think most people like each other. But it's not a perfect church. There are no perfect churches. There are no perfect families because we're all sinners Saved by grace, praise the Lord, but we're still struggling with sin. And when that happens in our lives, there's issues and problems. So he talks to us here about how to handle those things. We don't walk in the flesh, we walk in faith. And we need more. Can I just say this? We need more of this kind of commitment within families today, within marriages today, and within churches today. We live in a society, sadly to say, that uh, just people just jump ship right away. There's the smallest little thing. They just give up. God hasn't called us to give up. He's called us to go on. And He's called us to go on for His glory and His strength. And so consider your church family. We know here we're to be at peace. We're to warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient for everybody, don't retaliate, don't seek vengeance, but choose what is good for everyone. And by the way, sometimes that last one, choose what is good for everyone, means you don't get your way. It means I don't get my way. Because I'm thinking about the body, I'm thinking about everybody. And that's the way we're to live. But there's a third consideration. You may not like this one. Consider yourself. It's okay, preach to everybody, but don't get right in here. Well, he does. Consider yourself. At this point, Paul begins a big list of short exhortations. But don't let their brevity fool you. These are important. In fact, what we're going to go through right now is really what we might just call it Christian living. Christian living. Now look at verse 16. Verse 16. Maybe you say, I can't memorize Scripture. I have a terrible memory, Pastor. Well, listen. You can memorize this verse. I'm confident in you. You may not remember where it is, but you can remember this verse. It says very simply in verse 16, Rejoice always. Mm. Did you know that that's actually the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament? Now, in the English, the shortest verse in the Bible is John 11:35, which says what? Jesus wept. But in the original languages, this is the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. Rejoice always. You have to remember, beloved, that our joy is in the Lord. We can always rejoice in Him. 
When there are problems, when there are issues, and you're going to have issues in your life, personally, you have issues in your family, you're going to have issues within the church body, you've got to remember this, our joy is not tied to our circumstances. Our joy is not tied to everything going well. Our joy is not tied to always winning. Our joy is tied to Jesus. And we can always rejoice in Jesus. On our worst days, on our best days, when everything's going great, when everything's falling apart, when we're at the highest point, we're at the lowest point, we can always find joy in Jesus. We can always rejoice in Him. He never fails. He never changes. He's always faithful. And we can rejoice always. And we can have joy in the midst of sorrow. Joy in the midst of problems. Joy in the midst of trouble. We can have joy in the Lord Jesus. That's why it says rejoice always. You're not always going to be happy. You're not always going to be upbeat. You're not always going to be jumping up and down, waiting to go somewhere. But you can always lift your heart in praise and joy because Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Rejoice always. Verse 17 is another verse you could memorize today. You could leave here with two verses under your belt. It simply says what? Pray without ceasing. We could summarize by saying always rejoice and always pray. Now, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Well, the, in the original language, it has the idea of a hacking cough. You ever know someone has a hacking cough? You know, they just can't... Well, thank you for the illustration. Uh, <laughs> just can't seem to shake the cough. I mean, it's always there. But you're not always coughing, but the cough is always with you. That's the idea here. He's not calling us to quit our jobs and quit our families and quit everything and go find a hole somewhere and crawl into it and just spend the rest of our life till we starve to death and die praying. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying always being a spirit or an attitude of prayer. There are times where you remove yourself and you go to the closet and you pray. There are times special set aside for prayer. There are times that are dedicated to prayer. But he's simply saying this, just always pray. Just as you're going through your life, as you're going through your day, just pray. Just pray. They can be what I, I call those thought prayers. You don't always even verbalize them. You just, you just lift your thoughts to the Lord, just asking for His help. You're just praising Him. You're just praying. You're just in an attitude of prayer. You're just in a season of prayer. Prayer should be as natural to us as breathing. We just lift our, our hearts to the Lord. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life, just, just going up to that, I just have to just pray. Just ask the Lord to help. Pray without ceasing. And, and, and I told you, these are kind of challenging, aren't they? I mean, always rejoice, always pray. And then the next verse says, always give thanks. In everything give thanks. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, it's important that I point out to you, it says, in everything, not for everything. There's some things we certainly would not be thankful for. We shouldn't be thankful for. People that are harmed, people that are abused, people that are molested, all kinds of horrible things that go on. We're not thankful for that. But this doesn't say be thankful for that. It says, in everything, give thanks. You say, what if some of those horrible things happen to me or my family? How can I be thankful in that? Well, if you're a child of God, you can be thankful in that because you know another verse 
In the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, the 28th verse, where it says that God works together all things for your good. Now, he didn't say all things are good because they're not. And he doesn't say here, be thankful for everything because that's not what he's saying. But he says, in everything, wherever you find yourself, and whatever happens, know that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We see it in the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Horrible things happen to him over and over and over again. But God worked together all things for good. All along it says that God was with him and God saved much people alive. Even Joseph himself admits that in the 50th chapter of Genesis. So I don't know what you're going through today. And, and I'm not saying this is easy, but I am telling you this, it is the will of God. It says very plainly, in everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Notice what it says, for you. That's easy to tell somebody else. Well, you need to just thank the Lord in the midst of that. But what about when it's you? Because he's talking to you. We're considering ourselves here. Consider yourself in everything. And you're only going to be able to do that if you keep your eyes on Jesus. And you remember that God is sovereign, that God is in charge of your life. And listen, child of God, nothing's going to touch your life that's not first filtered through the loving hands of your Father. I have to hang on that often. Now, God doesn't cause everything but he does allow everything that happens to us. And it's all filtered through his loving hands. Go back and read the book of Job. Every time Satan wanted to touch Job, God had to say, okay, you can do that. Okay, you can do that. So whatever touches your life has been filtered through the loving hands of your father. And we don't always understand that because as human parents, we try to remove as much as we can of that. But God in his infinite wisdom, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Knows that these things that he allows to touch our lives are working together for good to do what? To make us like his son, the Lord Jesus. There's a purpose behind it. He's building us to be like Jesus. And there are some lessons, whether you like it or not, and I don't like it, that we're only going to learn through adversity and problems and pain. In our house, we talk about it. I'll say to, to Gideon, one of the boys, you know, building character. We're just building character. When those problems come, we're building character. And, and we need that in our lives. But we've got to keep going. There's a lot here. Verse 19. He says, do not quench the Spirit. The idea here is not our Spirit, but the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. To quench means to extinguish, like you would extinguish a fire. So Brett goes to a fire, he puts the... Now, do y'all use water, or is it foam? Alright, he used water. I don't know, the technology's advanced so much, but I'm assuming he uses water. They quench that fire. Puts it out. He's saying here, do not put out the fire with the Holy Spirit. What's he mean there? Remember the Scripture likens the Holy Spirit to a fire. And to quench the Spirit here would mean to resist or to squelch the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The interesting thing about it is we can resist the Spirit's working in our life. So every child of God, here's a quick theology lesson, every child of God has within them, residing within them, the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, the Scripture says if you don't have the Spirit of God living within you, you are not His. You are not saved. 
The moment that you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and He takes up residence in your life. But then the Bible says we're to be filled with the Spirit. So there's, there's, the, the, there's the indwelling and there's the filling. You say, what's the difference? He's always within us. That is, He's indwelt us. He lives within us. But He seeks to fill us. That is, He seeks to control our lives. He's always a resident, but He wants to be president. But we can resist His working in our life. I don't know about you, but there's been times where God will impress upon my heart, it's the Holy Spirit within me, to speak to someone about Jesus or to speak to someone about the Lord. You ever had this happen in your life? Be honest. Remember, you're considering yourself. God impressed upon yourself, go talk to that person about Jesus. What do you do? You begin to have an internal conversation. You begin to rationalize. You begin to... Is that really the Lord speaking to me? I, I don't know if this is the right time. I don't know. Is this really the right place? I, I'm not sure. I don't, know if I, have a, I don't know if I know that person well enough to do this. I don't know if I have a relationship enough to do that with this person. And what are we doing? We're quenching the Spirit. We're quenching the Spirit. We have sin in our lives. God the Holy Spirit, He indwells us. He's always within us. And when we have sin in our lives, He wants us to get that right, so He begins to convict us. And what should we do? We should quickly confess that, forsake it, ask forgiveness, move on. But sometimes we have another conversation with ourselves, don't we? By the way, you talk to yourself a lot. In fact, you talk to yourself more than anybody else, so be careful what you're saying to yourself. Make sure you're speaking truth to yourself. But, but there's sin in our lives, and so we begin to kind of, you know, the Holy Spirit brings it. Well, that's not really, I, I'm not really gossiping. I, I'm just sharing a concern. I'm, I'm just sharing a need there. You see, we begin to quench the Spirit. It says there, do not quench the Spirit. We've got to keep going, because some of you are getting convicted, and so am I. Verse 20. He says, do not despise prophecies. What in the world does that mean? Well, you've got to remember, when he's writing this to the Thessalonians, they didn't have the completed Word of God. It was still in the process of being written. When you hear about prophecies, you and I think about foretelling. That is future events. And we've talked a lot about prophecy, even within this book. That is a part of prophecy. There is a prophecy that is foretelling, but there's also a prophesying that is a forth-telling. The prophets within the Scripture, even here as we're reading this, there's the idea of God's Word. Now, we have the completed New Testament. We have the completed Old Testament. We have the complete Scripture. The canon is closed. We have God's Word revealed to us, the perfect, inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God. So when it says here, do not despise prophecies, we would understand it this way, do not despise the Word. Do not despise the Bible and its teaching. Do not despise faithful teaching. Do not despise faithful preaching. You say, well, despise is a really, really hard word. I mean, that's pretty strong. But some people feel that way. If you're not careful, you can too. We begin to have another conversation with ourselves. We're in Sunday school and the lesson's brought out or we're up here and the preacher's preaching away and we see something God says, hey, right there, that's what I'm saying to you. You say, was that really what that means? By the way, be careful whenever you question God's word. That's what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said. And we can even move to the point where we not only just question it and doubt about it, we begin to despise it. We 
do not like that. We don't like what's being said to us. Despise not prophecies. Let's keep going. Verse 21. Test all things. What's he mean there? He means don't believe everything you hear. Check it out. Do that when I'm preaching. Do it when Pastor Larry's preaching. Do it when a guest is preaching. Do it whenever your Sunday school is teaching. Test all things. The Bereans in the Bible were known to be you know, faithful people because they, they went and they searched the Scriptures. Don't take everything at face value. Don't take everything you know, just because it's said or somebody says, well, the Bible says. Make sure that what they're telling you is true within the context of the Scripture and you understand through the processes of biblical hermeneutics. That's a big word. It just means a proper interpretation of Scripture. Make sure that what they're telling you is indeed the truth and they're applying it in a correct way. The truth of the matter is you can take the Bible and say all sorts of things that are not true and all sorts of things that are contrary to God's Word. So you've got to look at it within the context, looking at it. It says, test all things, check it out. And then verse 21 goes on to say, test all things, but then what? Hold fast what is good. Hold fast what is good. In other words, whatever is good, when the Word speaks and you know it's the Word, obey the Word, hold on to it, stand on it. And can I just tell you, listen now, this is vital for where we live and where we are. We're in a society, we're at a point in history within our country where everything is up for grabs. Everything is just kind of, is a big question mark over everything. And we're being told you can be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, basically. Foundations are being torn down. And so we've got to make sure that we are rock solid on the Word of God. We've got to hold fast to the truth. And it's not popular. And it doesn't win praise and awards and applause. But can I just remind you that's always been the case. They crucified the Lord Jesus. They killed the apostles. We're just finally, in a sense, catching up to where a lot of believers have lived their whole lives. That is the pushback, the resistance, the persecution of the world. And we need to hold fast to what is good. Verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. I think the King James has all appearance of evil. Sometimes that's a bit misunderstood because people may think you're doing evil all the time. But the idea is to abstain from every form of evil. That is to live right, to live righteously. Then verse 25, he says, Brethren, pray for us. We need to pray for other Christians. We desperately need to pray for each other. Then verse 26, some of you have been waiting to get to this one. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm thankful no man grabbed me on the way in and kissed me this morning. Security might have had to have been called had they done that. You've got to remember this is cultural. They tell me, the scholars tell me that the ladies would have been together, the men would have been together. It's not the idea of you kissing other people's wives and husbands and things. Culturally, this was a proper greeting. That is still the case in some cultures. There are some places you go and some bearded guy would lay a big old kiss on your cheek. We 
are more handshaking people, fist-bumping people, different ways. We're greeting one another. We're expressing love. We're expressing greetings. We can do that a variety of ways. Hospitality here. Culturally, we don't kiss, we shake hands. Now, you may have already thought, had this thought as you went through that list, and we're not done yet. This is a lot. How in the world am I going to do all this? Well, you can't. You can't do all this on your own. And that brings us to the fourth and final consideration, and that is this. Consider your God. Consider your God. You're going to need God's help. I'm going to need God's help to live this way. In fact, without his enablement, we're never going to live this way. Without his help, it's not going to happen. To be more correct, God will do this work in you. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. I want to read it in the NLT so you can hear it a little bit differently. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may, you, and may your whole spirit and soul and body, all of you, be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. You've got to remember that God is the one working in us to make us like this. It's not the idea we get up in the morning and say, I'm going to try really hard today to pray all day. I'm going to try really hard today to thank the Lord every, all during the day. God is working in us. We cooperate with this working. Philippians 1.6 says it this way, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is the grace of God to us. In fact, in verse 28, what does it say? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. There is the idea where God is working in us and we cooperate with the Spirit's working. So God the Holy Spirit is working to help us to pray without ceasing, to help us to give thanks in everything, to help us to rejoice in all things. And we have to cooperate with His working in our lives. We don't just go out in the, the, the spirit of our flesh and the strength of our flesh because the flesh is weak. Like I said, we say we've got to be patient with all. Some of you are going to struggle with that in just a few minutes. You get the parking lot and that slowpoke gets in front of you. Only God can change your heart. Only God can do these things. The book of 1 Thessalonians has repeatedly called us to look up, to look for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we, we call the series Keep Looking Up. But what the passage today does as we end out the book is remind us of something very important. While we're looking for the Lord's return, we still got work to do. We still got life to live. God is still working in us to change us and shape us and mold us into the image of His Son. And we need to cooperate with His work within our life not quenching the Spirit, not resisting the Spirit, but fully yielding and giving control of our lives to Him so that He will make us like Jesus. Now, beloved, we've had four considerations in four different directions here. I've counted 20 different ones here of things we're told to do in this passage. 20 different ones. Which one has God put His finger on in your life, especially? Maybe there's one or two that just kind of sprang up today and kind of like a flag waving, God the Holy Spirit says, listen, I want you to notice this, and I want to change this in your life. What do you really need to give consideration to? Is it church leaders? Is it church family? Is it yourself, or is it God, or is it a combination of those things? While Rick comes and we get ready to have the closing song, I, I want to do this. I want us just to bow for a moment. 
I want to give you time right where you are just to pray to the Lord. By the way, if you don't know the Lord, that's your main need today. You need to come to faith in Christ. But the majority of the message has been for believers. What has God put His finger on in your life today? Would you take a moment right there in your pew, bow your head, close your eyes. Would you just pray to Him about that? And in a moment we're going to sing. And again, the altar is always open. You can come as well if you want to pray. But right now the main focus is what is God the Holy Spirit saying to you? Would you respond in faith and obedience? Would you take a moment right where you are? Just talk to the Lord.